0: And welcome to the guelph politicast i'm adam a donaldson of guelph politico today i talk to dr lawrence goodridge who holds the lung family professorship in food safety in the department of food science at the university of guelph aside from his credentials you may know dr goodridge best as the face of testing wastewater for COVID 19 so to speak The U of G has been one of the leaders in this area of COVID-19 research, and in the wake of Omicron, that research took on new importance as the regular channels of COVID testing were overwhelmed. But the future of monitoring COVID-19's prevalence and resilience may be in the wastewater, and that's a direction now reflected in the COVID dashboard on the Wellington Dufferin Guelph Public Health website. The Answers in the Wastewater is the topic of this week's Guelph Politicast. You may have noticed that there is a new tab on the COVID-19 dashboard of our local public health unit, and it's reserved for wastewater testing. The idea is simple. Scientists collect wastewater samples, and they test the samples for COVID-19. You see, though COVID-19 is typically thought of as a respiratory disease, it actually affects many parts of your body, including your intestinal tract, and that's why you can detect the presence of COVID-19 in feces. Consequently, prepare for the most times that the word feces has been used in a non-comedic podcast, but the science is sound, and wastewater COVID testing has become an invaluable tool in monitoring the progress of the virus in this latest phase of the pandemic. A lot of that science was developed in the labs of the University of Guelph, including the lab of Dr. Goodridge, who's the director of the U of G's Canadian Research Institute for Food Safety. Goodrich's career research has focused on foodborne pathogens, antibiotic resistance, and food fraud, but it turns out that his work was transferable to fighting the COVID-19 pandemic. Goodrich worked with Dr. Ed McBean in the School of Engineering and Dr. Heather Murphy in the Department of Pathobiology to gather the wastewater samples, and then he conducted laboratory analysis with Dr. Mark Habash in the School of Environmental Sciences. Thanks to their hard work and the hard work of their teams, we have a fairly reliable indicator of how bad COVID-19 has spread in our community and the general direction of where the new cases are, which has all been very important due to the imposed Limitations of PCR testing and the overwhelming number of new Omicron cases. So, on this edition of the Guelph Politicast, we're going to go behind the science, as it were. Dr. Goodridge will talk to us about how wastewater testing of COVID 19 works, why it works, and how the global pandemic managed to accelerate the development of science around wastewater testing. We also talk about how wastewater testing is being used in public health reporting, the challenges and limitations when it comes to scale, and how Dr. Goodridge's team is also using social media to identify where, specifically, there's high rates of infection. And finally, we will discuss how wastewater testing can be used as we work to the end of COVID-19, how it can also be used to prevent the next pandemic, and whether our collective social and political reaction to the current pandemic bodes well about how we as humans will deal with future scientific and environmental challenges. So I caught up with Dr. Lawrence Goodrich earlier this week via Zoom. Lawrence Goodrich, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much. I guess I was thinking about the best place to start. uh, And I guess the most obvious place is how does wastewater testing for COVID-19 work? And if you could make this as Simple as possible for the average layman. I would uh, appreciate it.
1: <laughs> okay. So <clears throat> wastewater testing for COVID-19 works because very early on in the pandemic, it was recognized that some people shed the virus called SARS-CoV-2, which causes COVID-19 in their feces. Mm-hmm. And and so if it's shedding the feces and it's in the wastewater, um, so, so you know, just for your listeners, wastewater refers to the, uh, the water that's collected at uh, wastewater treatment plants for, for, for treatment and then subsequent discharge. So um, because the virus is shed in, in feces and is therefore found in wastewater, one can go to a wastewater treatment plant, for example, in Guelph, um, collect a sample and then test that to see if the virus is there. And if it is there, uh, and if this is done continuously, it can provide information regarding the uh, presence of the virus in people within that community. Hmm.
0: I want to go take us a, a step back further. How how was it kind of discovered you could detect COVID in feces in the first place?
1: So uh, you know the pandemic originated in China, and there was some scientific studies. That were uh, done, and 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 that was discovered. Um, so basically, that that was where that uh, came from, and then subsequently was shown to uh, be true by other groups. Um, I just want to explain for your readers that this virus, you know, um, it's, it's basically been viewed as a respiratory virus, but actually we know that it can infect multiple organs of the body. So not just mm. the lungs, but it can attack the heart. The kidneys, um, the gastrointestinal tract, which is which is uh, also an organ. Uh, so so, and that's because the receptors for the virus, um, called the ACE2 receptors, are found in all of these organs. So um, that's why, um, I, you know, I think the virus can be shed um, in in the feces. Mm-hmm. So it's,
0: I guess, what I'm trying to think about now is how prevalent you could use wastewater testing like you couldn't use it to track to track the flu because or maybe you could i don't know you tell me uh how absolutely how, we can could. Actually, okay
1: we, absolutely and and that actually um we, we, so we at, at guelph are are using wastewater uh based surveillance to 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 track uh, COVID 19 in the city but also on campus in the in the dormitories um, I actually have a research project to use wastewater based surveillance to track foodborne pathogens like salmonella, uh, because that is obviously shed in the feces. One of the symptoms is diarrhea. Um, we will just soon uh, start using it to track influenza, which causes the flu. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a recent scientific paper um, from the University of Michigan where they used wastewater analysis to track the flu. So basically, you can track any. Pathogen that is uh, shed in the feces, but also it's not limited to pathogens. It could be chemicals. Um, mm. There's interest in, in tracking um, illicit drugs, mm. uh, for example, um, mm. or their the residues in the wastewater. So, you know, um, this is really um, an exploding field, uh, pardon the pun. Uh, but, you know, I do want to say that, um, you know, wastewater surveillance, um, it hasn't just been uh, invented it was it's been present for a, a number of years in fact um, you know polio virus um, hmm. you know this is where it really began uh, because the polio vaccine is actually uh, what they do is they take the virus and they they inactivate it um, and and but it still can grow in people it's just doesn't right. cause illness uh, and so to track the uptake of polio vaccine um, that you know, wastewater surveillance was used, and is still used in in some parts of the world. So, so uh, it's been around for a number of years, uh, but it's really gained um, prominence and usefulness with this current pandemic.
0: That's what I was I was I was also interested in is, um, I mean, something like mRNA. A lot of people think that this is just something that we came up with in the last couple of years, but it's been in development since the '90s. It just so happened that having a global pandemic that MRNA could help resolve sort of supercharge that research. Is it a similar thing with, with COVID? Um, and I guess at the same time, what are kind of the limitations of of wastewater testing, not just about when it comes to COVID, but, you know, sort of any, you know, disease monitoring.
1: So, yes. So to answer your question, it is the same with COVID, you know, um, oftentimes, you know, necessity is, is, is born of of a need, right? Like, you know, uh, and in this case, um, you know, particularly in this, in this um, current wave um, with the Omicron variant, um, because what's happened here is that because so many people have been infected, we can't rely on the normal clinical testing uh, that was relied on earlier in the pandemic to gain an accurate number of cases. So, uh, the only way really to do it right now is through wastewater. And, and if you if paid attention to media, you'll see that a number of provinces, um, Ontario, um, Manitoba, um, I think a, a province or two out east um, are using wastewater uh, almost exclusively to determine the number of cases. So what are the limitations? Well, as with everything, there, there are limitations. Um, one of the limitations of wastewater analysis is that um well let me couch it this way okay. um, its strength is also a limitation so um one strength of wastewater analysis is that it's it's non-invasive um you don't have to uh, collect it from individuals you can go to a wastewater treatment plant or a manhole for example and 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 sample from there um so privacy Uh, concerns are completely eliminated. Um, However, what that means on the limitation side is that we can only tell at a community level what's going on. We can't tell who is infected. Mm. And so that um, the who part would be useful because um, many people have asymptomatic infections. um, So they don't know that they're infected because they're not exhibiting any symptoms, but they could still sh- shed that or, uh, you know, um, infect others. Mm-hmm. So, so, um, so, one thing that, that my research group is working on is trying to combine wastewater-based surveillance with something called social media syndromic surveillance. So, what social media syndromic surveillance refers to is that people will often talk about their symptoms on social media. Right. Um, If it was me, personally, I wouldn't be (laughs) telling my friends that I have diarrhea or whatever the case may be, but people do this. And it's been well documented that one can actually use, uh, by looking at people discussing symptoms on social media, one can actually um, identify people who may have those symptoms, and that provides an avenue for those people Uh, to be communicated with and and told perhaps to seek medical help. So um, once, you know, if we can combine those two, then we'll be able to get an idea of what's going on at the community level, but also try to help those people who may need help. That's kind of limiting
0: too, though, because uh, not everyone is, like kind of identifies themselves openly on social media. Like there are a lot of people who use pseudonyms or, you know, so-called egg accounts, that's, that, that, that can't give you as much... Ac- I mean, that, there's not as much accuracy there either. But is that fair?
1: Well, one, one thing we can do, and again, this would assuage any concerns with privacy on the social media side, is that, um, you know, we can actually embed into social media feeds the questionnaire. So, for example, mm. um, if you've ever searched for something on Google, Like, like for example, I searched for furniture the other day. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, my Facebook feed is now inundated with, you know, ads Mm -hmm. for for that same furniture. Well, we could actually do the same type of thing. So that if somebody's talking about symptoms, we did, when we, and and it's not just looking at symptoms, there's complex algorithms. You have to make sure, for example, that um, the symptom, relates to to the actual disease in this case COVID-19 you know if somebody says that they have a cough and a runny nose that could mean a whole bunch of things so we there's our you know I, I'm simplifying it here there's a number of steps that we go through to make sure that it's related um right. if if we find out that it is then one you know we we could we could put a in bed right into their feed it looks like you know you may be suffering from from COVID um, you know, we advise you to seek medical help, or um, you feel free to communicate uh, with us, and 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 we can help answer your questions. So, so you know, that is one way how we can a- address some of these uh, limitations okay. um, with respect to social media syndrome. surveillance. Gotcha. Is there a
0: difference between? I, I know that wastewater testing is is used on campus. In fact, at the University of Guelph has a page where you can see the. The results of wastewater testing but i mean that's a very small area very particular area um is there a difference between the effectiveness in a small area like the university campus versus the greater guelph area it is it, you know it, the smaller the area the better the i guess the results
1: well it depends why one is, is doing the surveillance. So, so, so my lab is actually the one that does the testing for the university. We update that page uh, almost daily um, during the week, Monday to Friday. Uh, when we started out in, in uh, last fall, the goal was to really try to stop outbreaks from happening. So at that point, the number of cases was, was relatively small compared to now. Um, and so if we saw in a given residence a uh, signal, the idea is that we would communicate with those students, uh, say, you know, there's a signal here, um, please remember to follow public health guidelines, um, like masking and physical distancing and so forth. Um, and if the signal w- was really high, the students could get tested Um, And if they were infected, they would quarantine and that would stop the outbreak. So that worked really well Mm -hmm. um, last semester. This semester, because of Omicron, it's everywhere. (laughs) So if you've looked at the web pages, uh, the web page, the dashboard, you'll see that all the residences are positive. Um, That mimics what's happening in the larger community. So now um, we can't use this to stop outbreaks. There's already outbreaks. There's already a lot of cases. And in any case, we don't know who's infected or not because of the lack of clinical testing. So right. what we're actually using it now is the opposite. It's not to determine if a signal is increasing. It's to look and determine when a, when the signal is decreasing uh, so that, you know, it can be safe, you know, for students, for example, to congregate and so forth. Um, in the city, in a city like Guelph, there's one wastewater treatment plant. So for the whole hundred and thirty thousand plus residents of Guelph. So if we get a signal, um what that can tell us again is is the same type of information. Like, okay, um, is it safe is it safe to reopen? Is it safe to relax restrictions? Um, um if if you know and, and we're seeing, for example, the, the wastewater signal is going way down. So, mm-hmm. so the cases are, are really decreasing. So now that we're getting back down again, um, you know, the key would be to look for, will it increase again? If it is increasing, that information can be used by, like, for example, hospitals to say, okay, you know, here we go again. We better start to prepare. We might need more people to come in because there could be more people, like more staff to come in because there could be more people coming into the hospital so on and so forth so i like to say knowledge is power and um th- this data is just another um bit of information that can be used to to help keep populations population safe it's an
0: interesting approach though because in earlier phases of the pandemic you would go to like the public health dashboard and it would say like the test positivity rate is seven percent and you would know because it's it's lit up in red that that's bad. Um, but it, it's it's like a hard, verifiable number um, that's telling you it's getting bad. But in this, it, it is a little bit like telling the future, isn't it? I mean, not that you're, you know, looking into a crystal ball or anything, but it's not so much about what the picture is right now, but where the picture is going.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So that's a great point. So one of the advantages of, of, of wastewater-based surveillance is that people – tend to shed the virus um, in their feces about 10 days to 14 days before symptoms show up. Mm -hmm. Um, At least originally that was what happened. Now it's a a bit more complicated because um, particularly in Guelph, there's such a high vaccination rate and and vaccination is, is protective um, and even in people who, who, who get sick after they've been vaccinated, you know, the, the the infection tends to be mild. So we're not quite sure what, how that affects the shedding of it. Mm. Um, we are seeing correlations with hospitalizations, though. Right. Um, so, you know, it seems to be correlated with if you see an increase in wastewater signal, you're going to see an increase in, in hospitalization. So, again, that information can be used by the hospital uh, to prepare for that. Um, and, 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 you know, I think the goal here is to try to learn from our previous missteps Mm. to avoid the debilitating lockdowns, um, that have happened. Um, and, and so by having this information, the idea is that hopefully this can help public health officials make decisions ahead of time, uh, so that we don't get to a point where, you know, we have to lock down.
0: Right. Um, Appreciating that that's sort of gotten more difficult, as you said, because the vi- the the vaccine um, is is doing its job and sort of slowing the spread as well. Um, I could see having this earlier in the pandemic, sort of having that sort of two weeks notice and looking out and saying, "Okay, guys, we need to," you know, button up the public health protections, or or this could get away with us. So I guess that makes. Um, Applying this to the "quote unquote" next pandemic um, could be useful. Um, are you starting to think that way?
1: Absolutely. So um, let's just address your first your first comment. Sure. About this was would have been useful earlier in the pandemic. So absolutely agree. Um, in Canada, so, so wastewater surveillance is based surveillance is being used around the world. Um, in Canada, we were slow to adopt it. Um, when even when it was adopted and it has been going on for a year now um, but public health officials were slow to realize its utility uh, that has now changed as I've said with Omicron, basically because there's no other choice hmm. uh, but I should I should note for your readers that the, the Ontario the problems of Ontario is actually a, a global leader in this area there's uh, what's called the wastewater surveillance initiative it's a it's a provincial initiative that consists of 13 universities uh, spread geographically around the province, um, such that um, it it covers uh, over 75% of the Ontario population. And so these universities collect samples um, in different cities. Um, So Guelph, we do Guelph, but we also do cities in Niagara region um, and conduct analysis uh, three times weekly. And then that data is uploaded to a public dashboard. So this um, surveillance initiative has really become quite an effective resource um, and I think is a it provides a blueprint to move forward um, for when and I don't say if I say when <laughs> Noted. Uh, there's a next pandemic I think you know there's general consensus that you know there will be in, uh, pandemics more and more now due to climate change and the, pro- the The globe, uh, the world, be- is is shrinks every day, um, you know, because of travel and so forth. So, uh, an increasing population and, and all of that. So, um, so I think this is a blueprint. Um, we, we've we it's taken us a while, uh, perhaps too long, um, mm-hmm. but we figured it out now. Um, and I think this is a, a good way that uh, we could monitor for emerging diseases and hopefully give ourselves much earlier warning the next time.
0: I guess part of that is thinking about what form the next pandemic could take. Is, is it like something like COVID that uh, sort of attacks your, your, I mean, although we just said it's not just the respiratory system, but that seems to be where you're, you're kind of impacted. And I guess um, how much of this is you working with other colleagues, like virologists, epidemiologists, and sort of, trying to, I guess, reverse engineer where the next pandemic is going to come from. Because, correct me if I'm wrong, wastewater testing might have to be adjusted depending on what type of disease it is.
1: Absolutely. So, um, yeah, so I really like your comment um, about working with, you know, epidemiologists and and other public health officials. It it absolutely has to be an integrated and interdisciplinary team. Um, with respect to where the next pandemic is going to come from, so um, we 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 know that it will likely be what's called a zoonotic disease. So, a zoonotic disease is a disease that is transmitted um, between animals. Those animals could be non-human animals to humans, or humans to other animals. Um, generally, um, you know, I, I think there's there's consensus that we'll likely see another coronavirus. Um, pandemic. This is, you know, so this COVID 19 is the third um, coronavirus uh, outbreak that's happened in the world in the last 18 or 19 years. Mm-hmm. So um, I think, you know, there's some thought of that. We know that it will likely come from regions of the world where there's high concentrations of people and animals that are in close proximity. So that means Asia, for example. Um, you know, where you see a lot of co-mingling because what happens is that there has to be that, that close proximity um, for, for um, the disease, animal diseases to, uh, in, you know, um, combine with the human forms of the disease to, to form these, uh, these really highly infectious pathogen. So, so anywhere you see see high concentration so, so Asia, Africa, and also warm temperatures right. um, so, so there's a lot of work going on you know right now looking for the next um, uh, potential uh, pathogen in, in, in those areas. Um, however, we don't know for sure it's very hard to tell what will make people sick or really sick, and we actually don't know until people begin to get sick. Right. So, um, so that complicates things. So this is why having surveillance, um, uh, and, and not just national surveillance, but global surveillance. So working with, with, with people in other countries and their surveillance networks will be imperative, um, to trying to stop the next pandemic. And, and the thing about it is we actually knew that, uh, we actually did know that and we actually had pretty good surveillance systems. But then over time, what happens is, you know, um, people begin to question why do we need this you know when it's not like we're seeing outbreaks it's not like we're seeing pandemics so so you know um the need to to cut costs and so forth um those those networks were dismantled um and then came this pandemic so hopefully we've learned that we really need to have you know such surveillance systems in an ongoing manner um even when there's nothing to report.
0: Uh, Yeah, I was I was thinking that as you were talking that uh, somebody looked at a spreadsheet somewhere and said, well, I have all this pandemic surveillance and there's no pandemic without without tying one and two that maybe there's no pandemic because we had good surveillance.
1: Exactly. And this (laughs) is this is a problem is that if it's done right. It actually becomes a victim of its own success, right? Because nobody will know, which then strengthens the argument of why, why should we have
0: it? Right. Nobody cares about the pandemics we don't hear about. Exactly. (laughs) But I mean, it's it's part of an interesting way that maybe we have to look at healthcare. And I I was talking to somebody who works in community health here in Guelph, and she said, you know, empty beds in a hospital should be seen as a good thing. It should be seen as a a good, positive sign of a healthy community, not as a a waste of money.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) You know, I really think um, we're a very reactive society. Mm. we wait until there's a big problem, then we try to solve it, which of course, by that time, it's, it's too late. Um, so, you know, this type of surveillance really gets to being proactive, um, identify the problem, um, even before it's a problem, if if possible, or at the very least when it's only a small problem Mm -hmm. and then, and then try to control it that way. Uh, it really requires a, a radical, um, reorganization of, of how we think and how we fund things mm. we fund problems we don't fund you know uh, stopping problems from happening so, right. so you know again I, I you know I hope when this is done you know people much smarter than me you know <laughs> really get together and, and and really have candid discussions and and, and hopefully this will lead to a reorganization of how we do things with respect to public health. In terms of the current problem, is, is wastewater
0: monitoring um, going to be part of the sort of the long-term, I mean, we're kind of looking ahead to maybe this spring and summer of like really kind of bottoming out with COVID cases, but is this, is, is the wastewater testing kind of a long-term strategy to make sure that we can maybe nip it in the bud if it comes back like next winter, like we're talking about, it's being a seasonal disease now?
1: So, that's a great question, um, and I don't have the answer to that. Um, Fair I, You know, the, I mean, I can tell mm-hmm. you that we're having discussions with the province. They want to extend this um, for at least another six months, potentially a year. Um, you know, we'll, we'll just have to see. Mm-hmm. Um, in the meantime, you know, we are developing, my lab is developing approaches, and just trying to show that this is a, you know, a, a viable alternative. And if, um, and that includes, you know, procedures to um, roll it back out quickly. Mm-hmm. So if let's say it does get shut down, um, you know, but then something else happens, um, let, let's hope not. Um, yeah. <laughs> but we, you know, can we, instead of it taking months to roll it back out, can we roll it back out in a matter of days? Right. Um, So these are all, there's just a lot of of unknowns at this point. Um, But these are all things that we're working on. That's more of that preparedness we were talking about, I suppose. Uh,
0: Looking at sort of where this research came from, you you know, your field of research about looking at foodborne illnesses. um, I know that you've talked a lot about climate change being, it's going to be a source for a lot of, those kinds of diseases. And given our comments a few minutes ago about not really being so good at preparing for disaster until it it gets here and we're in the middle of it, this experience living through the last two years and and working the science on your end, um, I guess, how do you feel? Like how confident are you that we're kind of equipped to deal with the, the problems that are coming 10 20 30 years away um, i mean are you feeling good about
1: our adaptability
0: as a species i guess
1: <laughs> well from a technological standpoint we have the tools and mm-hmm. my my concern is that you know will we will we have the the strength to use them um we've seen with this pandemic in my opinion we we could have had a much better response Mm. um if 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 we would just have had the strength to 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 use you know progressive um tools that we have Mm. um that 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 lack of willingness has hampered us so Mm. you know when we are in a situation like this it requires bold ideas a colleague of mine likes to say that and 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 i agree you know so so will we be bold enough with these future um, diseases and pandemics to stand up and use these new tools. We, we have all these new tools every day um, and the ability to develop models and to predict. Um, you know, we, this pandemic, there, there were several um, uh, universities who did uh, pandemic scenarios, you know, in 2017, 2018, two years before the pandemic even started and predicted this precise scenario. Mm. Uh, but we didn't do anything so you know that's my concern um then of course it, it's even more complex than that uh because we have to understand the politics mm. um and and mm-hmm. in canada it's not just you know federal politics provincial politics it's politics at the municipal level then you start to get into global politics <laughs> all right so um you know, um, the science might be there, the technology might be there, but if the political will isn't there, right? Um, then then it's not going to happen. So all I can say is I hope that we've learned um, our lesson. Um, I unfortunately am cynical that we have, <laughs> uh, but, I, but I, at least I, I can hope that we have.
0: Well, I hope so, too. Uh, Lawrence Goodrich, it was so great talking to you and uh, thank you for all your hard work. And um, I guess we'll we'll see. We'll see if everything is going all right through the wastewater. (laughs) Thanks again for all your time today. Well, thank you for having me. And once again, that was Dr. Lawrence Goodridge. You can read about Professor Goodridge's work with wastewater testing at the University of Guelph's website at news.uoguelph.ca. You can also see the results of the regular wastewater COVID-19 testing on both the Wellington Dufferin Guelph Public Health website and the University of Guelph's own website, and you can find all those links in the show notes for this episode. And speaking of this episode, that's it for this episode of the Guelph Politicast. The music for Guelph Politicast comes from KPM Classics and Sid Dale. The Guelph Politicast is usually recorded at CFRU, Guelph Campus and Community Radio, out of the University of Guelph. And to learn more about CFRU, go to cfru.ca. You can download the Guelph Politicast every Wednesday from Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify, and when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel, you will get an episode of Open Sources Guelph on Mondays and an episode of End Credits on Fridays. You can follow Guelph Politico on social media, at Guelph Politico on Twitter, and at Politico Guelph on Facebook. You can follow me at Adam A. Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram, and you can send me an email at adamadonaldson at gmail.com. If you would like to help financially support the work of Guelph Politico, you can certainly do that and get all that information at guelphpolitico.ca slash donate. And for all the latest local political news, check out guelphpolitico.ca, where we will have a new episode of the Guelph Politicast for you this time next week. And until then, we shall see you next time.